This is Human V Robot, a podcast about the intersection of humanity and technology. Welcome to Human V Robot. This is episode three, and today we're going to be talking about recommendation algorithms. I'm Andy Venny, and I'm here with my sister, Heather Hallgrimson. Heather, how was your week? Good, good. Today was a little hectic, but you know, the week was good. Yeah, other than audio issues setting up uh, for recording here, yeah, it was good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's Human V Robot right here, right now. Yeah, we're living it right now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so you were saying you were on a live tw- Twitter panel or something like that? What, what was the deal there? Yeah, so just before I was in this, not to add like, I don't know, just today seems like one of those days. It's just, a, you know, kind of one thing to the next. Um, yeah. But I, um, right before this, was uh, asked, well, I was asked a couple of weeks ago to be on this sort of live tweeting hour. And I wanted to talk about that because it's kind of like the some of the emotional responses and feelings that being on social media and sort of interacting with tech can bring out. Yeah. Um, I think it really, because it was like this hour of live tweeting and it was like, okay, answer these questions within this time frame. The host puts up a question, you answer to it and you interact with the other people who are on like the panel. Right. Um, and it's all like, you know, use the hashtag. Okay, I forgot to use the hashtag a couple times. Um, but I was also just like, refresh, 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 refresh. And it was this like kind of harried environment where I felt like if I looked away, I would just miss something. And it really <laughs> reminded me that that's such a common feeling when it comes to interacting with tech is it can kind of like creep up this sort of like anxiety inside yeah, of us yeah. that if we if we just look away for a second we're going to miss it because the human brains are not like able to keep up and just track with that many bits of information going at the same time yeah um twitter is perfectly capable of handling that and more um because that's how it's set up yeah. but it's not set up for kind of like a human interaction and you know like it's no critique of the format it was really interesting and like low key to be a part of, yeah. As opposed to like a webinar panel, which I've been on lots of, um, where you actually have to you know sit there, yeah, and, and talk at the person. At least in this case, you could have the conversations that you wanted to on the side simultaneously. Right. But also, it just left me feeling after this hour like I had just just like done some crazy chaotic exercise. But there was like ten instructors, and I didn't know where to look. Yeah, like I was just like doing everything at once. <laughs> It is stressful. Like I, I've had a few interactions. One, the one I'm thinking of hearing that is I tweeted, like mentioned Neil Gaiman, the author. Like I, I had a book of his, and I, I started reading it to my daughter, and I, I mentioned it on Twitter with a screenshot, and he liked it. And then as soon as that happens, it's like this this intensity because you you know anytime and like a famous person shows any interest it gets traction, right? It gets like, and there wasn't a ton, but it it did leave me with that feeling of, this is stressful being uh, in the spotlight in a sense, right? Yeah, and then it made me feel like I had to check everything just because my Twitter was going wild for like, which is not, I'm not normally a big tweeter, yeah. as you know. Um, <laughs> don't look me up, you'll be, you'll be like, wow, that's sad. Um, but like, <laughs> but I was like, you know, my, 
getting all these notifications and I thought, I gotta check my email, my Instagram, my whatever. Like I was just like, yeah. what's going on out there? The world is crazy. And then I looked at my email and it's like a bunch of, you know, this is mats and stuff that I was like, oh, it's like put me into this fight or flight mode yeah. um, that I think it can, you know, that, that kind of forum can put us into, which is like a really anxious place to live. Yeah, for sure. It, it is a different mode of being. And it's like, it's a really unique experience, I think. And like, I'm trying to think of like the pre-internet analogs to that other than like uh, being famous and being in the spotlight of, you know, something like that. Or I, I don't even know what it is. So, it seems like a very uniquely modern experience. It does. I was trying to put, yeah, like a real human to human kind of apply that over. And I was like, well, it's kind of like being like at a big conference, you know, where right. you kind of know people and you're talking. But it, like even then, there's not this kind of like simultaneousness that's like you could jump into any conversation because usually you just kind of have a conversation with some people and then leave it and then have another one. Right. It would be like if you were at a conference and you just like like ran over, like talk to somebody and then like ran over to the next group and like, right. huh, and just talk to them, uh, making a lot of sound effects here. But yeah. you know, like the, it's that kind of like in and out sort of ness that or, um, is not like a normal way of interacting. Yeah, or even like there is something in the like flying blind, like maybe maybe a blind person would have a better example of that where you, you like have interactions approach you without you seeing them coming almost like where you that's right you know yeah because you have no other visual clues it's just like everything's coming out of left field i yeah. think that's what it is it's you're just waiting for something to come at you and then respond to it yeah it's just like kind of hitting all the balls that are thrown at you yeah uh <laughs> i don't know a little ping pong analogy there i'm not sure where that was going yeah um anyway i thought that was kind of interesting um this also just happened to me this morning. So um, what you wanted to talk about, though, was um, a little bit more about our terminology of yeah. human v. robot, which was never meant to be taken too seriously. I think it took us about five minutes to come up with a name, and we're like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Which in typical me, non-typical me fashion, like I overthink everything. Right. So this is not an overthought decision. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so tell... Tell everyone out there a little bit more about why why robot in human. Yeah, v robot. the human v robot. I, I it's kind of interesting because in my previous job, I worked at a, a factory that had actual robots uh, that were operating. Uh, and when I'm thinking of human v robot, I'm thinking much more in the colloquial kind of sci-fi sense where the robot is like this independent, autonomous, intelligent agent where. There are a lot of robots in modern society that are more or less independent and more or less autonomous, but they're not very intelligent. And the the intelligent ones that we're going to be talking about today, actually, are the ones that that respond to human action and, and guide it in some sense, right? Like the algorithms that we can come in contact with. But they're not really the strict literal sense of robots in that they, they don't have physical form and we're not interacting with them in the classic sci-fi sense of you have, you know, the I'm thinking of the Jetsons robot in the house that helps you out or whatever that interacts. <laughs> we, yeah. we're, robots, they're the technology that we interact with, intelligent technology in general. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Definitely makes sense. And that's a good point to clarify. And I think we're going to talk in a little bit about um, some of the inspiration for this topic and um, some of my thinking around this came from um, Kevin Roos's book, Future Proof. And he talks about um, how people sort of have this tendency to think of robots as being like a robot one-to-one correspondence taking your job. So one day yeah. a robot that walks, talks, and looks roughly like a person is just going to come in and sit at your desk and start working and take your job. Yeah. Um, that's not really how it works or how automation changes um, careers and industries. And even like, as we're talking about today, it's not just so much about the structural changes, but it's about them changing us um, and our preferences and shaping how we think and society level shifts. Yeah. So yeah, it's not so much about, you know, it's like maybe uh, people retire and they don't hire people back because they have, you know, certain types of automation to take care of certain types of tasks. Yeah. Um, but no, it's at the chance of like, um, you know, somebody out there building a robot to specifically take your job that, yeah, like it looks roughly like you, yeah. <laughs> even if it doesn't look like you, then, you know, that, that is like an intelligent being that it like lives in the world. Um, yeah, that's, that's not really super realistic. Yeah. Um, even though that's maybe a way that we are like used to thinking about it. Maybe that's just like, yeah, like sci-fi yeah. movies tend to depict it that way. Yeah. And so the practical outflowing of that, that I saw in, in this factory is like, there is these, you know, CNC machines, these robots that are taking the manual jobs in a sense, like they're replacing, although there is still quite a few people working in the shop, but me as a software developer, I kind of go into the office and what I was doing was replacing the jobs of the office people really like developing paperless solutions and automations that, you know, would not eliminate them completely, but, but definitely reduce the, the load on the office staff. And so each job sort of has a different threat in a sense from technology. Uh, And even my, my own job, like, there's lots of people that have talked about, you know, oh, can we get rid of software developers and just like have intelligent algorithms that replace what I do? And and that's quite possible. Like maybe that will happen. Yeah, I think anything that has kind of uh, um, anything that has sort of clear defined parameters and reasonably, um, you know, repetitive style of tasks or something, you know, I don't think we can say like, okay, it's only manufacturing jobs that will be automated. It's, I think there is a component to most jobs that are automatable. Um, And I think it's interesting as just a person to look at your own job and to say like, what what would be the easiest part to automate of this job? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess as a sort of startup consultant, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I sort of like operate in a weird land, I guess, but there's definitely parts of my job that I'm like, yeah, that a robot could really handle um, this a lot easier and better than I could. Yeah, if it was capable. Yeah, and I think like more recently, the the big thing that is catching people's eyes is like the smarter algorithms, like GPT three is, uh, and I think there's a newer one even that are like generating art. They're doing things that we think of as very distinctly human like creative endeavors that kind of shift the like the potential of what these algorithms might do like right or like designing clothes or something like that like you you can think of like okay so i don't know fashion designer clothes design okay that's like strictly a creative endeavor 
But on the other hand, really what it is is about spotting trends and riffing off in sort of an acceptable way, like yeah. within sort of themes of variation on a thing that's already sold. And you don't actually have to manufacture the stuff if you can just put it out into the world and then only manufacture it like when you sell it, like you can be very responsive. So you could almost automate that entire process, except for maybe a few key, I don't know, visionaries, the front of it, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think that's a perfect segue into our main topic for today. We were talking last week, we had each brought a topic and then had a main topic. And I think that's way too much to cover in one episode. But today we want to cover the topic of recommendation algorithms. So we have a few questions. And I think the first one you had was basically what are recommender systems? What do they do? And I think I would like your take on this because I probably have a different take on like what they actually are, what they, how they work. Like, uh, I don't know if it's always clear to people not in software development and even people that aren't specializing in AI, myself included, probably have somewhat fuzzy uh, understanding of what they actually are and how we interact with them. Okay. Okay. I feel like I wrote that question wanting you to answer okay. it. I was like, this, this is not a me question. Yeah. However, I'm going to have my best guess, sure. not a non-technical uh, expertise yeah. here. Okay. So as I understand recommender systems, there are things you find on platforms like social media, Facebook, TikTok, yeah. Instagram, or you can find them on things like... Um, Spotify, like media and entertainment, Spotify, Netflix, right. um, where it says you liked this movie, you're also likely to like this movie because of the following characteristics that other people have also seemed to like. So, um, <clears throat> and then you have um, recommender, you know, YouTube, where if you liked this video, you'll probably like this video and then you'll probably like this video. So I don't know exactly how a, all of this mechanically works. Yeah. Um, but basically what you have is some, you know, you have each person's like input, which is what they watch. Um, and Netflix knows both what it is and how long you watched it and where you paused it and all that kind of stuff. Right. And from there, and if you tell it, yes, I like this, that really helps it out because then it can start to build out what it thinks you're also interested in similar kinds of movies, which is actually a very hard problem for uh, to deal with is how things are similar and how things are different. Um, but through multiple passes yeah. of the content, it can start to build up a sense of why these things are similar and why these things are different. It's not going to get it right every time, but that's okay. That's just how it goes. Right. It's going to take one pass. It's not very good. By the hundredth pass, it's actually doing pretty good at thinking these two things are similar. Um, this very non-technical explanation of recommender systems. I think that's actually a fantastic uh, high level on what they do. Like there are a number of different ones out there and, and a number of different uh, technologies involved. But I think in general, the thing that most people don't get in it is that it, it really is just statistics for the most part. It's like looking at the numbers and, and making correlations. And that that's the big thing that like statistics are sort of a, a backwards looking analysis, whereas uh, recommendation algorithms are trying to 
take those statistics and prove forward-looking predictions, right? Uh, so that's very generally what they're trying to do. And the, so the like the oldest ones are probably financial ones, like people trying to predict what financial systems will, will do because that's the that's where the money is, right? <laughs> but then you get the ones like like Netflix that are are trying to predict human uh, preferences and stuff like that. And really it is just statistics with that added uh, layer of forward prediction, right? And so you can get really complicated in how they actually do their job, like how they work internally, but that's really the, the core of the issue is that it is just statistics, right? Um, so I don't know how in depth we want to get into like how um, each of those works, but I think that's probably a good summary. Does that like? I think so. The one thing I wanted to pull out of that that might be relevant to this conversation is that the recommender system has no understanding of the world, right? Um, or no real take on anything except to achieve its objective that it's been programmed to do, right. which is to get you to watch more, get you to click more. Um, it has like a goal in mind, yeah. um, more conversions, more watches, more clicks, more whatever, um, because that's how the platforms drive, you know, revenue or usefulness or whatever, right. whatever their, you know, metric is. Um, and so they, they're they sort of agnostic about how they achieve that. Right. Um, so whatever hacks that are helpful or beneficial that they have found right. to put thing, two things together, um, it will do so. Right. <laughs> right. Um, you know, like even image recognition kind of software. If you you know, if we pull that in. Yeah. Um, I was reading um, the book AI Weirdness, which is just a great. It's a blog too. Yeah. Um, and it 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 found that in image recognition, um, what what they're actually recognizing. Um, when it was recognizing sheep, it was recognizing green fields because sheep were just always in the fields. Okay. But if they put a sheep on a car, it would say dog. Right. Um, so it didn't know, actually had no concept of, so sheep and sheep was like a necessary condition was that it was in a green field. Right. Because um, it, it doesn't know what a sheep is. Right. And the recommender system doesn't know what the videos are or have any personal enjoyment of them right <laughs> whatsoever or know if it's good bad um, wholesome or terrible you know like it has no judgments like that yeah yeah i think that is a, a definitely an interesting point to pick out because there is a sense like of surface understanding that that we we don't sometimes see when we see how the algorithms are operating we see them accurately predicting where we don't actually know how like we we can get a pretty good sense of how a human gets from a to b but the recommendation algorithm may be using some weird shortcuts that we don't even understand and yeah. that and also the point of goals that you brought out are important because sometimes the goals of the system whether it's facebook might be tracking time on the site and how many clicks how many engagements stuff like that each of those goals can affect the algorithm, how they try to achieve those goals. And there are a lot of people thinking about that, whether consciously or subconsciously, how do you, how do you interact with those goals? Like what, 
trying to infer the goals and trying to infer how to interact with the goals especially on face on youtube i've i've heard a few creators just talking about when youtube switched from view count to view time was very very substantially affected how youtube creators were approaching their content like videos would get longer but they the, the longer videos would have to be more engaging like less potential drop off because that would negatively affect their view time and um each of those goals can like it's something that we interact with and uh affects a lot of people's livelihoods uh trying to understand those goals and companies are not really um they don't want to explicitly state their goals or or be too obvious about what their algorithm is doing because that will affect you know that that will create these weird incentives where people are trying to game the system and legitimately good content is getting lost because they're not gaming the system right um and i think so that's youtube i i think any big company is facing these strains like i i've noticed there have been a number of articles and i should probably find references for them uh but i've read a few articles on how uh how the quality of google results is declining over time just because they are a company that has aims their system is getting very well understood and so the people that understand them often are not you know often not the best results get to the top because the the results that get to the top are the ones that know how to manipulate the system yeah it's whoever can afford to buy the most adwords yeah yeah there definitely is a financial component like you but even in the organic we call like so there's paid search results which are the ones at the top and then organic search results which are the one below and and most of that like gaming the algorithm stuff is happening well it's happening in both of them because you can target those the ads but you can also target the the system itself with the organic results like if if you develop a site and this has kind of happened from since the start of google but it's i think it's a problem that's getting more entrenched like the obvious ways that to game the algorithm have been filtered out by Google, but the less obvious ones and the more uh, nefarious or dubious are gaining traction in a sense. So it's it's this kind of arms race between the platform that wants to provide the best results and uh, public or private interests that want to get to the top of that page, right? Um, and, yeah, it's yeah. kind of like whoever has when I guess then you sort of have to question how much time people are spending in towards creating good content right. or creating solutions for their clients or whatever, and how much time they're just um, putting into uh, being easily found right. on the Internet uh, by Google. Yeah. And you would hope that people would be putting the most of their time and effort into creating excellent content yeah um but yeah anyways we've kind of like gone into a territory that i want to explore a little bit more which is sort of the potential 
side effects, I guess. Um, so good old fashioned, you know, economics 101 or whatever I took, we talk about externalities. Right. So things that happen as a result of some action or activity that are not captured in the calculation of that thing itself. So it's sort of utility, value to society, person, whatever. So there's kind of the transaction that happens, but then there's this extra stuff that's created. People talk about pollution being an externality. It's not captured. So unless we find a way to put that within the calculation of the actual cost, then it's going to be a negative externality. There's also positive externalities, things that are like a surprise happenstance that happen. Um, which can be either way. But I wanted to focus a little bit more, I guess, maybe on the, I don't know, the negative ones are easier to focus on. I don't know. But just maybe it's even like ethical or societal. I think there's some kind of transformative change stuff that's going on here as a result of the, maybe it's unexpected, I think, as a result of recommend and recommendation algorithms. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm curious about that too. I don't know uh, if I have anything more specific than, yes, it's, there are definitely these externalities uh, and every system has them and we need to take them into account. Um, I'm trying to think of a specific example that would illustrate it more than just the general case, right? Um, Yeah, I think while we were talking about it, which is basically like the degree to which you can, um, you know, be found and put effort into And when you think about startups getting going in the world, I mean, thinking about the capacity on their team to be able to be found um, in relation to sort of like other larger businesses, which can be easily found, um, is, uh, I don't know, one of those things that's like, uh, are are we okay with how that actually makes it? way more difficult to compete. Right. Um, the other thing that I really wanted to bring up that I've heard a couple of places, and I, I think the jury's a little bit out on this. So so just take it, you know, I'm not going to present an obvious closed case done, let's move on and try to fix this. I, I don't know, but I'll bring it up. Is um, does recommender, do recommender systems and having things recommended catered to us now, what it wants to do is, yeah, more clicks, more engagement, more this, more that. And so in order to ensure that, it wants to make us, the way to do that is either to make content more appealing or to make us more predictable. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of sort of discussion out there about whether or not recommendation systems, algorithms, whatever, are effective at making people more predictable. And by that, I mean shaping their preferences in some way. So does it change us? Does it make us, does it potentially lead to radicalization? Um, Does it go like lead us into sort of like, you know, vortexes of things that are reinforcing, very reinforcing? Does it flatten? I mean, that's sort of in one extreme case. Does it flatten our preferences or shape us into like I had, I I feel too old for TikTok. That's that's point number one. So I had some people recommend like, are you on TikTok? I said, no, I just, I can't do it with another social media platform. It feels like learning a totally new thing. And I just, I don't know. I can't do it. Whatever. I mean, I'm 35, but I just feel like I'm on the cusp of too old here. So I was like, no, not, not doing the talk thing. And then uh, these friends said, it's amazing how quickly it learns you. And I was like, what does that mean? Like it learns me. Like that's a lot of, I mean, and everyone is the same, like there's a lot of different opinions and I don't know that I'm really 
like, I don't know that my opinions are that well formed sometimes. Right. Right. Like, I just have some ideas about stuff or I think about stuff or I might be interested in things in the future that I'm not now, but I might be interested in. I don't know. Um, and, and so it was like, it's basically like, yeah, it learns you. It learns that you're interested in this, this. And I'm like, it learns what three main preferences that I have. And then it like further shapes those preferences. Right. Like, say I'm like, I like to work out. Okay. But just for my mental and physical health. Yeah. Um, but then it's like, he's chosen more workout videos and more and more and more. And then suddenly I'm a what? I, I'm really into the thing. I'm just like, what, a bodybuilder? I don't know. Like, I'm just saying, like, right. it just it wants to shape me into sort of like a like an ultimate version of myself. It doesn't want me to be a casual exerciser. Right. It wants me to be fully, yeah. you know, fully into that lifestyle. It wants me to be super focused right. on that because then I'm more predictable. It knows what I like. It can, you know, yeah. more videos, more whatever. So I guess that's the other thing too is does is it capable of doing that? Um, I I don't know. Again, like I said, I think there might be something there, but I don't want to present it like, well, that's the end, folks. No, I think you're absolutely right, and I think there's a, a piece there that I have noticed myself and and have have been frustrated with is that kind of novelty equation is not in there. They are not trying to challenge you or or push you outside of the boundaries of what you occasionally you'll find things that like you're interested in and then it'll take you like very deep in that direction quickly like I, I recently bought a bike and so I was googling bike stuff and then looking oh, a little yeah. up a little YouTube stuff and then instantly I'm way into like like you're fully in. fully yeah. in it and I'm like I'm not that into it it's just like um this is something I'm curious about right and so yeah un unless you trigger it in a sense like you say hey I'm interested in this thing it won't show you that thing and I think that's definitely a uh something that needs to come in these algorithms is a little bit of flavor that that flavor of life right that's like the novelty the things that's like oh people are interested in this thing maybe there's something there you know maybe maybe i can you know look at it a little bit and i so it's kind of the opposite problem of traditional media in that traditional media often excluded that novelty just because it wasn't broadly accessible maybe where you get that novelty now, but they're in these deep wells of specialization, sort of, where you will never just stumble across them, right? Until you say, until you trigger this system to say, hey, I'm interested in this thing. I'm interested in bikes. Oh, okay. Well, I have, you know, a huge, vast uh, library of stuff related to that. And it's like, I'm not interested really in the deepest, you know, like, I'm not that interested in it. I just want to, you know, get some context and get some understanding of the, you know, I want to be somewhat interested in a topic. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like there's a way to tell the, the, the algorithm, like just, I'm just a passing interest. Yeah, just a passing interest. I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm into it. Yet. Yeah. I'm just looking. I'm just shopping, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like maybe, and I said, okay, it's pretty much all negative stuff that I can focus on. Like, it shapes our preferences. Right. It changes who we are. It creates these wells. But, on the other hand, a possible positive effect that can come about through recommender systems is the potential to find niches that are really interesting and exciting. Right. When you find you're interested in something, it's like there's a never-ending, um, you know, 
content for you to mine almost. Yeah. Um, which is really cool because then you can find people who are like you. I mean, I, I did read an article um, that was like, uh, you know, basically that recommender systems do show content diversity. So it was a news aggregator, but of course the, you know, Google news or whatever that you're reading your news on, yeah. it's going to be tailored to you. Like, uh, I don't know, like, um, my husband is not seeing like, you know, boot trends for this season or something right, like that. Right. Like I'm seeing, you know, like it knows I'm going to read in style or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, and he is not. Um, so yeah, there is some content. So yes, there's content diversity shown on there, like in traditional media, maybe traditional media. I don't know. I'm going just maybe newspapers. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Someone else can define that for me. But, um, yeah. So like, yes, content diversity is there. Um, but it, like you mentioned, it's it's pretty broad strokes because it's just stuff that kind of most people are maybe possibly interested in. Like, okay, here's today's sort of political content, and here's right. today's entertainment content, and new movies coming out. And so you know, it's it's kind of stuff that's just that's just there for most people. Big announcements, big scandals, whatever. Yeah. Um, but you know, like you said, what's missing there is the opportunity to really dig into something niche. Like, yeah. no matter what you're interested, there is a corner of the internet for you. Yeah. Um, so that is really kind of a cool thing that I'm discovering because I just sort of figured like I hadn't been into that whatsoever. Yeah. And then suddenly like you, when you discover that, you're like, there's people who are just nerding out on the same nerd things that I am, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, which is just amazing actually when yeah. you start to get into it. Yeah. Um, we're getting near time, but I did want to touch on one issue and if there's anything else, we can absolutely talk about it. But I think there's a general... Uh, like the the general problem of AI, and it's something I encounter in technology in general as well, is like, what happens when a system gets too big or too complex that no one human understands it? Like, that is, there's there's ethical questions there about like, who's responsible for the behavior of this machine if no one actually has told it to do X or Y, you know, and some of those goals, like, if, if we've programmed in the goals and the, the metrics it's using, and it comes up with some bizarre solution, who's responsible for the behavior of that system, right? And I don't know yeah, if there's a good- policing yeah. the AI. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we can't really hold the AI accountable, but somebody like the company that is operating that is liable, I would say, but like who is it like the developers are basically just using these tools the management or the decision makers are saying what's important but they're not they're like unless we have clearly defined like uh rules of engagement like this is what you're allowed to do um i think it you run into some pretty dangerous territory there right this is where policy really needs to catch up with, and governments are not known for being um, fast-moving right. uh, organizations yeah. as a whole. So this is a slight problem that they're going to face is responding to um, what technology is capable of, um, because like there is a way to legislate responsibility. Yeah. in there. I mean, we hold action people responsible for their actions technically. We hold companies like when you form a new company, they are an entity that can be sued 
Um, and then the people who are own and who govern the company can also be held personally responsible, although they also they have levels of protection to right. avoid that losses associated with that. Um, and I feel like this is a real sort of law and AI question that I'm sure there's very smart people out there working on. Yeah. Um, but the question is, do we who do we hold responsible in cases of um, AI? Uh, misbehaving um, because it's you know it's really just on the company so they have a very powerful AI that can do a lot of stuff that is going to have unintended consequences like we said that re- these recommender systems have unintended consequences right um, and well you can only tell what it's going to come up with once we actually start running it there's no way to really predict this yeah um, and so do we then mandate that companies have to sort of release lighter, less uh, powerful versions of their software to test out for negative human effects before, you know, or, or environmental effects or whatever, before they're allowed to release their full version? Right. Well, no, I mean, they can do whatever they want right now. Right. <laughs> as long as it's within the law. But do we do we legislate that? And then who do we hold accountable for those sorts of things? Like you said, yeah, it's not really the developers. Like, they're just given a problem to solve. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's that's a very tricky question. And I think this is something that um, policymakers need to, um, you know, we need to make them aware of and to be aware of as a society that we need to call for some action on this because um, this is definitely going to continue to be a problem. So we're going to need to figure out, like, it can do a lot more than we're, or in sometimes a lot less, like, you, you know, right. than we're giving it credit for sometimes. Um, but I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, and... I mean, there's some things definitely that can be legislated. And I think the hope is that the edge cases cover the 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 majority of things. But like, what if it's just a case of, hey, Instagram is making me sad. <laughs> like, is that something that can be legislated? Like if it's causing this or or what? I, I'm not picking on Instagram, any platform. <laughs> Like, uh, yeah, sure. if any platform is having these broad-ranging psychological effects on the population, that that should be regulated or 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 at least considered, right? Yeah, I have read that. That uh, yeah, there's a you know this big study on a bunch of teenagers, and it said like by and large it was having very negative mental effects on teenagers. And I'm like, wait a second, yeah, is that like, hmm, uh, so we're just gonna just acknowledge that and move on, right. you know, like if something was having a negative societal effect, but then, you know, we're, we're not going to, but I don't know. Yeah. And what's interesting about it is it's just people using the algorithm that then has those, like I said, those, those psychological effects, like I said, that kind of psychological effect that I felt this morning being on the live Twitter chat where I was like, ah, what, yeah. what, yeah. yeah. Like I was just feeling crazy yeah. uh, and just super, you know, on, yeah. uh, it is not something that like, Nobody designed it to do that. It just happens. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, I think like all of our topics, I think we could go on for a long time. But yeah. anyway, uh, thanks a lot, Heather, for this conversation and look forward thanks to next week. Sounds good. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To hear all our episodes, search for Human V Robot wherever you find your podcasts.